Welcome to Dyslexia Explored. This is Darius Nomderon, your host. Andrew Jenkins is going to share his talk here from the Dyslexia Scotland Education Conference 2018. He gave me permission to put this up. This is his talk, which is about going from dyslexia to success, how one teacher can make all the difference. It was shared with to 150 plus different teachers in the auditorium. Andrew shares about his three teenage and grown-up children. They grew up with dyslexia and him having dyslexic, dyslexia, his wife, the only one without it, nurturing a, a positive mindset, how one teacher's input can make a lifetime of difference, and lessons from his professional world as a business consultant, and how he's also an author even though he struggled in the early years with reading and writing like all other dyslexics and how the world is changing and dyslexics have the skill set most suited to future changes and the difference between fox thinking and dolphin thinking. He also tells his story of going from a dummy to rejecting a career in art and how an interview with Dr. Hines was the turning point and it ended up he became top of his class because of a newfound motivation to go to university inspired by key experiences with his teachers. And how choosing fate or your own destiny is key as a dyslexic. And he also talks about the coming of AI and dyslexia and how that combination could be very powerful. So there's a lot more. I hope you enjoy this. By the way, I'm sorry about the poorer quality of this audio. I think it's worth pushing through, um, but I understand if, if you don't. Thanks. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by DyslexiaProductivityCoaching.com, which helps you organize yourself creatively with a productivity system for Apple devices. Experiences um, and his talk is called, which resonates very much with Rachel's talk earlier on and some of the messages that Rachel was giving. Uh, from dyslexia to success, how uh, one teacher can make all the difference. So I'd like to, to give a, a large round of applause to Thank you very much. You'll hear me okay. Good. Okay, so how's your day going so far? Seen lots of nods. Where are we on the thumbs up scale? Sort of okay, so no pressure then. <laughs> okay, so as you know, I'm Andrew. Um, tell you a bit about myself. Um, I've got three daughters. Um, one age 23, just married. Um, 21, living in Newcastle. And I've got a 16-year-old Lottie, um, who's just finished her GCSEs in the UK education system. And actually, passed before I could. Actually, I'm, I'm delighted to. Uh... Is that you? It's not me. Right. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Someone's <laughs> iPhone's going on. Like, What's um, So all three of my daughters have got dyslexia, and uh, it just seems a bit of a competition in our house because each daughter sort of wanted to have a better dyslexia than the other. I think. <laughs> so I think by the time Lottie was born, like she's got um, super dyslexia, she says, and. Uh, Sarah, my wife, my lovely wife, she kind of, she's the only normal one in our household. It's good to her. Okay, she's the only normal one. And she kind of says to about us, well, you, know, you guys have just got issues. <laughs> Which I think is quite amusing. We have a light-hearted approach to dyslexia in our family. So I inherited, 
or rather they inherited my dyslexic gene, I guess. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a dyslexic, it sounds like I'm doing Alcoholics Anonymous here, doesn't it? <laughs> Hello, I'm Andrew, I'm not an alcoholic, no. I'm a dyslexic. Um, so they inherited that from, from me. And things that we find difficult and, and issues, and you've talked about this all day probably, but it's quite useful just to just hear another side to that story, is that shopping lists are, are, are quite an interesting phenomena for us. You know, Sarah will send the dyslexics out to go shopping. It's always interesting to see what comes back <laughs> when we've been shopping together. For some reason, forms for me are, are a real anathema. I just can't fill forms out. You know, I don't know why it is, but you know what you get? Name? Oh, I really struggle with that. Or if it's a name, I put Andrew, and of course it's surname first, or whatever. I mess them up all the time. So uh, lucky I've got a wife who can sort forms out and stuff like that, so I'd be lost without that. Um, so sequencing is a difficult thing for us. Recipes, that's an interesting phenomenon. <laughs> What's going to come out of the cooker when we've, uh, when we've been cooking together? So those, those kind of things are, are difficult for us. Um, but, and today's talk, uh, as Cathy said, I want to talk about dyslexia, but I want to talk about it from a superpower point of view. Um, I don't know if you've heard that expression today, but I believe dyslexics have a superpower. And it's that superpower that can drive them to success. It just needs the right nurturing to help young people with dyslexia to kind of achieve that <coughs> superpower and, and develop themselves so they can use a growth mindset to get to that superpower. And I think that's where you guys come in. That, you know, as teachers, you have that incredible responsibility or incredible privilege I guess, to help our young people to overcome the school system, as it were. And uh, yeah, the school system is, is hard for dyslexics. I'm sure you've learnt all about that today and you know from your own experience how difficult <coughs> schooling is for young people. So, you know, as teachers, and, and for me, there's one teacher particularly that helped me to reach you know, my superpower, as it were, and helped me to develop. And I'm sure you could be that teacher too to help a young person to do that. And I think that's an incredible privilege. And I don't know how many of you in this room would say, is there one teacher that you know that has helped you to become the person that you are? Let's have a quick show of hands. It's, yeah, so it's actually quite interesting. Isn't it? There's so many people that, you know, will have a teacher that they are, uh, will remember because of something that they've, they've done. So in terms of professionally, um, I run a company called PDX Consulting. I set it up 15 years ago. It's something I'm highly... Satisfied with that, so that's an understatement to say the least. Uh, you know, when I set that company up, you know, not many people get to set a company up, and I love doing that, I have to say. I've loved running PDX Consulting, and um, it kind of helps me to access my entrepreneurial spirit, I think. And again, that's quite a, a dyslexic trait, a lot of dyslexics end up to be entrepreneurial, so that's an interesting um, thought to hold on to. I'll come back to that a little bit later. Um, I help companies to, to develop and to build high-performing teams. That's a passion of mine. I love working with companies to build those kind of high-performance team, teamwork things. Um, I coach um, board-level leaders, directors, managers, executives, all sorts of companies, all sorts of shapes and sizes. Um, all over the UK, I work in content to Europe quite a bit. It's, it's nice when that happens. Occasionally, I fly over to the States. Um, to do some work. That's groovy when that happens. I kind of like that word. I'm working on that word at the moment. Kind of one of my dad's words, groovy. I think it's just a great word. Um, <laughs> uh, I've worked in Africa. And that is an amazing experience for anyone that's worked in Africa. It's a phenomenal experience. really enjoyed that. I'm hoping next year to be in China and Japan and Asia Pacific. That would be brilliant if that, if that comes off. 
Um, so, you know, in short, I guess I help teams, leaders and teams, to become the best version of themselves. You know, I'm also um, really proud of this, actually. I'm also a published author, and, and you know, that's not much of a big deal, but for a dyslexic, you know, I think that's quite a big deal. <laughs> I published this book. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm not, I'm not selling this book, by the way, so it's not a sales spiel, please. But I, I published this book in um, 2014. Well, I published it, my publisher published it. And it, it's lovely to be published, actually. And do you know what? Um, from my perspective, as a, you know, I never thought I'd get there and do that, honestly. Um, so for me, this was a, a sort of crowning experience, almost, you know, to have a book and to be proud of it. And I remember when my publisher said to me, look, Andrew, you know, we're just about to publish this book. You need to go out and just advertise that now with your friends and get some, um, you know, get some quotes for the back cover. And I have to say, that scared me, scared me to death, actually. What do you mean, people are going to read this book? <laughs> I hadn't kind of anticipated that, that I'd need to get reviews for this book. And I thought, what happens if people don't like it? You know, it's funny how your limiting beliefs of your past and your, you know, things that I grew up with and, you know, through my education system sort of were real blockers to get this out. So when I got it out, I was really pleased with it. And I've been delighted with this response. It's been so well received, actually, that... I think we're due for a second edition this, this, this following year, this coming year, so that's, that's great. So, and, and the book's really all about, it's called Doing More Than You Think, um, The Return to Authentic Self. And it's really about the journey of how everybody, not just dyslexic people, it's not a dyslexic book, it's just a, a book about overcoming our issues, overcoming our conditioning, our limiting beliefs, our inner mind chatter. Recognise any of that stuff? You know, we all kind of carry sort of our past with us, don't we? And this, this book helps people to overcome that. And it's a process of, of getting rid of your limiting beliefs. And I kind of guess that's partly inspired by my own sort of dyslexic journey, as it were. So I just thought that was quite interesting. So um, today, the big picture for me for um, delivering to you, really, is it's, it's about... The world is changing. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> the world is changing, and it's changing fast. And if you don't know that, you've probably been living under a rock for the last few years. You know, the world is changing dramatically, hugely, enormously, and will continue to. And we were talking at lunchtime about Charles Handy's work. Anyone familiar with Charles Handy? Well, one person. Yeah, Charles Handy wrote in the 1980s that the world would significantly change in the year 2000s, where people's careers would be upside down. You know, technology will, will uh, immensely... Um, you know, uh, profoundly change the way we operate, and I think that's what we're we're experiencing. So much disruption in our economy today, and I'm operating in that economy, and it's a really hard marketplace right now. You know, things are things are topsy turvy. Disruption is happening everywhere. The digital economy, all sorts of things are happening. And then there's this thing called Brexit. Anyone know about that? <laughs> well, uh, heaven knows where that's going to lead us to. Uh, excuse me, a moment. Mm. Uh, gin and tonic. Thank you very much. <laughs> No lemon, come on. <laughs> um, so, 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 yeah, and I think the world is changing, and the things that I'm noticing in the economy that's changing is that the skill set required in tomorrow's world, in today's world, and emerging today, and will continue to, is this demand for creative thinkers, the demand for imagination, the demand for collaboration, the demand for soft skills. Familiar with that term? Emotional intelligence. You know, and we've got to teach that stuff. You know, and I think it start, it'll, it'll need to come into our schooling, I think. And I, I'm a big, big advocate of that. And interestingly, 
Um, well, two interesting things really. One is that 15 years ago, I was sort of predicting that myself, and one of the reasons why I set up my company, PDX Company, to try and address that need. And do you know what? 15 years ago, people were calling this stuff fluffy and just ridiculous. No, no one wants soft skills. It's too fluffy. And, and yet, you know, emerging now is an absolute demand for soft skills, and people can't get them. You know, employers just can't get people the right kind of people skills. Yeah. So that's interesting. And the other interesting fact is that actually dyslexics. People with a dyslexic mindset, you know, if they reach their superpower, as it were, the dyslexic superpower, they match those requirements perfectly. It's like the world has tipped upside down. Suddenly, the dyslexic mindset is in demand. And that, that, that's a theme I'm going to pick on quite a bit today. So, um, Kate Griggs, who's the founder of Made by Dyslexia, um, she, she kind of, I was on LinkedIn with the other day, and we were just sort of passing some comments around Millions of dyslexic people, she says, are outstanding at what they do. I've just added the eventually there, because they have to get through the school system first. And not in spite of their dyslexic processing differences, but because of them. And I love that. And I just want to just, just have a little anecdotal story about my daughter Lottie's ambition. So I told you about that she got her GCSEs recently. I'm really proud of that. And, but you know, there was a lot of support for her in her school. Um, this is a school that really understands... You know, dyslexia, but has to accommodate it. It's not sort of, I think it's still got a long way to go um, the education system, but for Lottie to pass her exams, you know, she got a lot of support, extra time, computers, a reader, all of those things really helped. In the background, you know, I was quite concerned about her mental state because you know, the GCSE syllabus just made a step change jump in the UK. I don't know if it was the same in Scotland. Um, you know, it's hugely difficult, and you know, she was under a lot of pressure, like all 16-year-old kids doing their GCSEs. And for Lottie, because she was struggling so much with her bandwidth of being dyslexic, we, we got some counselling and a little bit of um, therapy to help her along the way. So, and her aim was that she was going to get through her GCSEs without taking medication. You know, and I think that's, that's a sad state of where things are you know, for young people when they have to consider that as a potential option. So luckily, we, we got through that without that. But her, her ambition is that she wants to do computer science. She's a geek. Um, and um, she wants to study in Edinburgh, actually, or in Glasgow. Um, and the reason for that is that there's a huge amount of IT um, uh, new sort of startup companies happening, particularly in the Edinburgh area, and I think the same thing in, in, in various other parts of Scotland, much more than there are in the UK, actually. And uh, that really appeals to, to Lottie. And the interesting thing is that, that GCHQ, I think they have a headquarters also in uh, Edinburgh, and um, you know, one of the things that they're actively doing, I don't know if you know this, and probably you do, but they're actively pursuing and looking for candidates to, to be employed that are dyslexic. You know, that's quite a step change, I think, you know, in, in today's society. Rachel was saying earlier, I looked at her slides earlier, so 50% of people in NASA were dyslexic. Did you know that? Well, she did know that. She did. So, um, so, so there we go. Um, yeah, and, and so... I think for, for Lottie, you know, to have that hope that even with her dyslexia, she's very, very employable in tomorrow's society, I think is quite interesting. Um, this is a, a model that I use in leadership when I'm working with leaders and teams, and it, it, it isn't anything to do with dyslexia, but I want to make some parallel connections here to dyslexia, because that's what we're talking about today. Um, so I'm just going to introduce you to this model. Um, these, these four animal types represent sort of different behaviour categories that you see in every organisation. Okay, and uh, I'll explain in a moment. But the, the x-axis is about 
the ability to read people in situations and the Y axis about carrying responsibility. And I'll start with foxes. And, and, sorry, and, and the top two animals, the foxes and dolphins, this is the leadership zone. Okay? This is where leaders tend to form at that, that top level, politically aware creatures, if you like. Now, the foxes represents an, an older style of leadership, which is should be dead by now, in my opinion, but we've still got a hangover from the 20th century of fox-like behaviour in companies. Highly competitive, I win, you lose. It's all about how much money I can make and I don't care about how I do it. You know, um, that kind of style of leadership <coughs> is still very prevalent in our organisations today, but uh, it's, a 20th, it's a 20th century monolith, in my opinion, and it's... it's, it's it, it's just not working in today's working world at all. And yet for, uh, you know, in the 20th century, if you like, you know, a lot of dyslexic people in the workplace would have to compete with foxes. And that's very hard for dyslexics to do because you know, they're not really, you know, and, and that's really the world that we live in today that um, dyslexia is still looked at as a dysfunction, particularly by foxes who think, well, you're just a dummy, so I'm cleverer than you. It's just not true, it's just a different way of processing. Um, so, yeah, so, so we, we get a lot of fox behaviour, and yet this is an old style, okay. And dolphins, or sorry, dyslexic people don't really survive well in that kind of culture. And then underneath that we've got the baboon behaviours here, and if you like that, that's kind of where a lot of dyslexic people in, in traditional organisations kind of end up being assigned to, because they're considered, you know, they have the skills that's required to be that, that kind of fox-like behaviour in required in companies of yesteryear. Uh, and also, some, some dyslexics, because of their, the choices they make, they become victims of, of an education system, they don't believe they can learn, etc. You know, the self-fulfilling prophecy becomes baboon-type behaviour. Okay, you kind of get this model, yeah? Um, and then on the right-hand side, the top right-hand side, we've got this new category. This is really interesting. This is an emerging leadership style that I'm seeing a lot of. Um, uh, and this is dolphin behaviour. I like that because dolphins represents kind of playful, you know, playful creatures, but actually highly intelligent. Some say even more intelligent than us. Actually, um, you know, these are creatures that are highly adaptable. Um, dolphin type behaviour in the workplace we see is emphasising soft skills, win-win situations, um, you know, collaborative skills, cohesion, all of those things. They, this is the modern leadership style. And it's the smarter way of working in today's working world. And we'll see a lot more of this in our organisations. And certainly the 21st century organisations, the startups we've seen, is very much on dolphin type behaviours that we've seen for the first time. And interestingly, interestingly, that dyslexics fit into that dolphin category quite naturally. You know, they have the, the, the upper hand, which again is quite an interesting concept because for the first time in the 21st century, we're starting to see that dyslexics have the upper hand over those that aren't dyslexic. That's like kind of a weird irony, isn't it? You know, do you kind of get that irony? Yeah, that's really quite interesting. Now, the other thing I just wanted to point out here that you know, this isn't just a dyslexic world. I believe that if we, if we were to modify our education systems somewhat, I don't know how, I've got the answer to that, but you know, it's not just the dyslexics that benefit. I believe that actually everybody can benefit. We can all learn this dolphin type behavior. It's very learnable. I teach it all the time. But wouldn't it be great if we could allow our young people to learn this kind of stuff? You know, this emotional intelligence and this ability to be able to be personable and uh, to relate better to other people. What a kind of world we could build. Okay. So what I thought was just for I've got time, yeah, just a couple of minutes. I thought I'd like to look at that um, 
just in pair groups or triplets, and I know it's a bit awkward where you're sitting, but you know, just in the small sort of clusters around you. I just want you to have a look at this model and just have a little bit of time just exploring it yourselves. And I've got a couple of questions for you. Firstly, what do you recognise about these sorts of behaviour categories in your own workplaces and your own lives? And just to familiarise yourself with the model a little bit. And secondly, which, category, which categories do you recognise might be advantageous or disadvantageous or challenging for dyslexic people? So have a little go at that, a couple of minutes for you. Where do you think the most challenges would be in that model? The, the foxes. Yeah. I think and certainly the 20th century was very much based on that, that principle. Interesting, our, our education system really supports that fox like behavior. Still, still. You know, please don't take this personally. You know, I think you guys are doing a brilliant job. You know, my girls wouldn't have got the qualifications that they got without fantastic teachers. I get that. I'm not really having to go at teachers. I'm having to go at the kind of the system, as it were. Is that okay? And I think we really do need to learn to get away from this kind of teaching measurement and competition and you know, sort of modify our education system to kind of be much more aligned with dolphin type behaviour. Okay, that's kind of where I'm getting from. And I'd like to just switch gears a little bit now. I'd like to talk a little bit about my own personal story, um, about my own dyslexic journey. Some of it you'll recognise, I'm, I'm sure. Um, and to draw out some learnings for you as teachers that there may be some practical, simple things that we can do right now, some practical steps to help our young people, our dyslexic young people, kind of reach that superpower dolphin type behaviour set, which is what I'm so passionate about. You know, I think we need to get to that point. So that, that's what I'd like to do now, if that's okay with you. And I'd like to start with um, my schooling. So this is in the 60s and 70s, okay? This is a thousand years ago for some of you. Most of you weren't even born then. So, um, my, my experience, uh, do you have key stage one, key stage two in this thing? No, okay, so infant school, junior school, okay. Uh, so, it took a while for me to get going. I absolutely hated school. From the, from the moment I got to school, I thought, why am I doing this? <laughs> I can't possibly learn anything in this, this, this environment. Uh, I, from day one, I felt different, and I didn't really think I fitted in. And this is a kind of classic journey for a lot of dyslexic people. Self-doubt and security sort of built up quite quickly, you know, just in a matter of, just in my first year of junior uh, infant school, I still remember so clearly, um, becoming sensitive and withdrawn. I desperately want to be liked and accepted, but somehow you're different from the other kids and they judge you for how, how, you know, how clever you are, or how not clever you are, I know that isn't grammatically correct. Um, so, very quickly, even in infant school, I was labelled as the dummy, dim, slow, stupid, thick. Duffer was a, use, a word used. Do you use that word? It's called duffer. Uh, yeah, really kind of. And this stuff rubs deeply, you know? It rubs deeply. Um, sequence learning was, 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 I mean, Kira was saying, Kira Knight was saying, spelling, she makes her laugh. But my spelling used to make me laugh. But times tables, just couldn't do times table. I could do two times table. That was all right. I could do one times table. <laughs> Six times table, well, I didn't get that far. Um, Adding up subtraction, I think it was actually okay. Subtraction, I still find difficulty actually with subtraction. Long division, <sighs> long division took me until I have senior school before I got actually. Uh, I don't know why we learned that kind of stuff, it's just so hard. Well, for me it was anyway. Rhymes, oh my gosh, you know, rhymes. You know that, the, the, the rhyme for the days of the month? You know that one? 
30 days have, I still don't think that one, by the way. Yeah, I remember one teacher standing up at that point to make an example of someone who's a dummy because he can't learn this rhyme. And I was made an example of for the rest of the class. And it was, you know, for weeks, my peer group just, you know, castigating me for being a bit of a dummy. I've actually found a much better way of remembering that. Have you seen this method? Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. So January, February, March, April, May, just all the months of the 31s. I just thought that was fantastic. I wish I learned that when I was a kid. So anyway, and then Secret School came along, so profoundly bad writing. George writing, that was an anathema. Um, so poor spelling, poor working memory. Push pull, I still have problems with dogs with push and pull. Yeah, clearly label can't do it. Yeah. And then, then clockwise and anti-clockwise. Boy, that's a real tricky one for me. I, I learned actually there's a little phrase you can learn here. Lefty loosey, righty tighty. Have you come across that one? Yeah. Brilliant phrase, that really helped me actually. I remember that rhyme. But then I've got to remember what's left and what's right before I can then operate the, the verse. But anyhow, my mother's brother, my brother's mother, those kind of things I just can't get. I still can't get those even as an adult. Uh, so I left school with poor grades. Um, and yet, and yet, deep down, deep down, somewhere inside me, you know, I thought, do you know what? I'm not a dummy. I'm actually quite a bright kid. But, this, but I couldn't get the school system, but I didn't have the intelligence to recognise it was the school system at the point rather than it was me. So I knew I wasn't stupid, and I had this dormant, bright intelligence, but, 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 but the school system kind of keeps that out of you if you told you're a dummy more than, more than, more than you know, if you told you're a dummy too many times, you just kind of end up believing that, don't you? And that's how I was. And I have to say that, you know, my education left scars on me. You know, and I know many people have the same issue with schooling. Schooling was difficult, oh gosh, but it shouldn't be used as an excuse. I'll come on to that in a moment. And yet, dyslexia has some amazing superpower strengths. Empathy. We think differently, we're creative, we're big picture people, we are inspiring and very personable. You know, actually, when Lottie came to school in year seven, did you do year seven or did you do first year in senior school? First year, thank you. Um, she. Um, when we had our first parents' evening, the first thing one of her teachers said is, my gosh, your daughter, she's the only year, first year, that ever spoke. <laughs> because she's, she, she could speak to adults. But most year sevens just don't speak at all, do they? Or oh, year, year ones just don't, don't speak at all. She could. So that was my schooling. Um, and educator Dean Braggenau, I don't know if you've come across this guy, does a lot of TED Talks on dyslexia. It'd be quite interesting, actually. You know, he talks about this idea that dyslexic people buy into, they buy into the idea that they have no control at all. And I think that's really sad that we buy into that idea that you have no control at all. Uh, if you come across this word, fixed mindset, growth mindset, very much this fixed mindset thing. Uh, I'm a big keen advocate of fixed mindset, growth mindset. And it kind of, you know, he said that if we're not careful, people fall out of the dyslexic system, sorry, the school system, because of their dyslexia. And you know, they take the easy route. And he, he makes a connection to um, delinquency, youth offending, um, high percentages of those are actually dyslexic kids. And our prison system apparently is a very high percentage of dyslexic people. You know, and, and they're the people that didn't quite get the system as it were, they fell out the other end. There is a responsibility to take, I believe, personally, I'll come back to that in a moment. But you know, to be that teacher to make a difference, I, I think that kind of dolphin behaviour is what we need to be seeing our kids. And one thing we can do is, is just help them to, to develop that growth mindset. Because if we get them to that point, then their education becomes you know, something of worthwhile, of worthwhileness for them. Um, yeah. 
So I'd like to really start my story, um, my own personal journey, with the dreaded parents even. <laughs> so I'm in my fifth form, okay, and I'm just about to sit in my O-levels. And um, back in the day then, um, you didn't go to parents' evening. Your parents went to parents' evening. And then they came home and told you off afterwards. Well, that's how it was for me. It was never like, well done, son. It was always me. And um, my head of year at the time, he was talking to my parents. And he said, look, something you need to know about Andrew. Um, something you need to know about him. That he, uh, he's going to be a mediocre. He's going to grow up being mediocre. We've got really low expectations for Andrew. Don't expect anything from your son. He's going to pass out of school with, with very little. You know, we'd have no expectations he's going to get any O-levels. And by the way, Mr and Mrs Jenkins, he will never pass his O-level math. He'll never get his O-level English. He just hasn't got the intellect for that. He's basically retarded. You know. So that was basically what my parents got, you know. Can you imagine what it was like when they came home? So, and my, my mother's got a, a Germanic nature, and she doesn't, she didn't mince her words, so she just pointed at me and she said, you never guess what your head of department said about you. He said, you're going to be a dustbin man. Now, there's nothing wrong with dustbin men, but that was a massive insult. It was the biggest insult my mother could give me. That's my mother, okay? So my mum didn't believe me. Do you kind of, you kind of get the story? That really hurt me, actually, you know, thinking, my God, you know, even my mother doesn't get this. But, and so you know, my advice to you is you know, never call a kid a duffer. You know, please don't call kids duffers. It really it doesn't just hurt, it stays with kids forever. You know, and it certainly stayed with me for quite a while. Okay. So, <laughs> so that was a dreaded parents' evening. Um, yeah. Oh, come on, baby. However, so sort of, despite their difficulties, believe in young people. You know, as teachers, despite them having difficulties, if you believe in young people, they get the fact that you believe in them. I'll come on to the reason why in a moment, but I had no one believing in me in school. Um, but it is so, so important. And inspire them to keep trying. And, and do you know what? If you keep trying, a lucky break will come along at some point. I don't know if you believe in lucky breaks, but I'm a great believer is the more you prepare for lucky breaks, the more lucky breaks you have. Yeah? Uh, prepare for those lucky breaks. And my lucky break came with um, a guy called Mr. Hines. A little bit of a backstory to this. So, um, when I was at school, I thought the only thing I was fit for was actually art. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I love art. I'm a great, you know, I'm an artist myself. My mother's an artist, and she's a brilliant artist, she's a professional artist, and she's a phenomenal artist. So I just thought, well, it doesn't really matter about this school stuff because I'm going to end up to be an artist and to battle this qualification stuff. And yet the interesting thing is that when it came to push, when push came to shove in fifth year, just as I was leaving, um, I just had this epiphany moment to think, do you know what, I'm not actually an artist mentality. You know, I've got something else to do. I couldn't quite figure out what it was. I was only 16, 17 at the time. Couldn't figure it out. But something was telling me, look, this isn't for you, Andrew. You know, you're not that artist mentality. You know, whilst you're good at art, you know, leave art for the artists, that's, that's, that's not for you. Um, and, and so I wanted to become an architect. There's another interesting um, you know, architects. Uh, there's a lot of architects that are dyslexic, by the way, so it's interesting I chose that. But it's clever. You know, he has had 10 years of education, and that was a university education. Now, in my school cohort, 
Well, I think less than two handfuls of people went to university. It was uncharacteristic. The worst year that school I ever had. You can tell what kind of school I went to, by the way. Pretty good school. Um, so the thought of going to university was way out of my head. There's just no way that was going to happen. So I settled for engineering. Um, now, interestingly, I didn't have the four requisite O-levels I needed to pursue the engineering career. So you, you needed you know, you did maths, English, and a couple of sciences, okay? Actually, I did get three O-levels. I got art, I got biology, I got history. You know, but it didn't quite match the engineering world. However, there was, there was a get-out-of-jail card. And I could, um, like a lot of kids, sit an entrance exam, which was sort of a reason-logic-based thing, sort of IQ-based test. We've never sat any of these things. They're quite scary, actually. And um, you know, I'm actually quite good at those kind of things, but I just haven't got the, the mental, the mental speed to do them fast. You need to do them quick to get the points. So I kept failing these the things. It was really quite annoying that you know, letter after letter, hordes of rejection letters. I got. Well, I'm kind of thinking, what's well, lucky break ever come along? Now, my lucky break did come along because one day um, I did actually get an invitation to an interview. This was for the 17th of July, 1979, I think it was, and I got this fantastic letter saying, you know, congratulations, we'd like to invite you to this particular company. Mr. Hans will meet you in the reception area. I thought, wow, fantastic, lucky break, here we come. Anyway, so I went to the interview, all duly dressed up and all the rest of it, quite excited about this, and then Mr. Hines turns up and he's got a letter in his hand and he kind of says, oh, hi, Andrew, he said, um, glad to meet you, but, but, there's been a mistake. Um, there's been a bit of a mistake here. We went actually, I don't know what's happened, but you've kind of got through the system and you actually didn't pass the entrance exam. Um, we've got the results here. Um, you narrowly missed that. But, so by rights, we shouldn't be having this interview now. I don't know whether it was the look on my face or that he was a benevolent character or you know, just like, oh, come on, a bit like this at that point. Because, well, I'll tell you what, we'll honour the interview anyway. Now, that was my lucky break, okay? So, the great thing about being a dyslexic is that, that actually we're very personable, as I've said earlier, you know, and actually I could talk to him as an adult. I was only 16, 17 at the time, not 17. I could talk to him as an adult. <clears throat> and the more we talked, the more he kind of engaged. And two hours later, he offered me a job, which was like, wow. And you know what he did? He ripped up the exam results and said, we won't worry about those. We'll pretend he never had them. Okay, so he ripped them up and put them in the bin. And that was my lucky break. Okay. However, there was a bit of sting in the tail for this, which I think was a good sting in the tail. He, he said, look, I'll give you a job, but college comes as part of this apprenticeship. So you're going to have to go back and study. And you've got to show me that you've passed with good grades at the end of the year. Otherwise, you're out. Deal? Deal. So, you know, I went for that, of course. Um, so that lucky break, is, that, that was important for me. Um, yeah. But sometimes you have to be tough on young people too. You know, it's great to be supportive and all this, but sometimes support means being tough. <coughs> okay. Now, um, and sometimes young people need a short, sharp shock. Ever come to them all those? Yeah, short, sharp shock. Sometimes what kids need to come wake them up a little bit. My short, sharp shock came from a guy called uh, that one teacher that made all the difference to me. We introduced you to him now. His name was Mr. Forster. Mr. Forster was a force to be reckoned with. He was a frightening character. Okay. Um, so, so you know, I love the world of work, but going back to college was scary because it reminded me, um, 
pushed me right back into you know, remembering my school years of being rubbish at school. And so a way of coping is that I just became a class clown. Can I recognise those kind of people? Or was that I was a class clown, okay. And um, I remember at one point that um, you know, uh, we wanted to go for an 18th birthday party and that meant leaving his class early and like, no one would face him apart from me. They're kind of like, come on, Andrew, you, you can talk to him, okay? Kind of likes you. You go and ask him to have time off his lesson so we can go out and party for someone's 18th birthday party. Now, Mr. Foster was the sternest man I've ever met you know, at, that, at, that, at that time. He was very stern, bad tempered man, absolutely hot tempered. And uh, he was small in stature, uh, probably about 50 odd years old, and wore a traditional white lap coat. You know, these lap coats, you know what I mean? And they had chalky fingers. This was in the 80s, man. You know, we had computers in those days, so chalky fingers, big chalky fingers. So I asked him, I said, look, can we have time off? And he, I don't know why he did this, but he just blew up. <laughs> what do you mean you're going to have time off my class? And I was cheeky to him. And uh, what Mr. Foster did at that point, which really surprised me, he just grabbed me by the lapels and just pushed me straight out of the chair. You could do that in the 80s, okay? <laughs> you could manhandle people in the 80s. Did me a lot of good, actually. So he manhandled me and pushed me out of the class and grabbed me. I was kicking and screaming all the way. Pulled me out of the corridor and slammed me against the corridor wall. You could do that in those days. <laughs> and then he started to progress and started poking with his big chubby finger, his chalky finger. And he was berating me for being stupid in his class and for um, wasting his time, wasting my company's time. What are you doing? You're wasting your time here. And I thought, oh, God, here we go again. There's the school system all over again. And yet, then he changed his tune, and this is what I call a pattern interrupt. That while he's still poking me in the chest with his big chubby finger, he's then kind of saying, well, you're an intelligent young man. It was like, it was music. He was like, you're an intelligent young man. You know, if you stop wasting time, you're one of the brightest kids I've ever taught. You could go to university ten years. It's like, it's like a rat man, you know. It's like, wow! And it was like, oof. It kind of hurts at the same time, by the way, because his finger was quite big. Um, anyway, we, we did end up going out. I don't know what happened there. But on the way home, the train on the way home is an interesting, it's an interesting journey for me because um, I'm kind of reflecting on that Mr. Forster moment, you know, in the corridor, giving me a right tough time. And it kind of made me wake up, really, you know, like, it was that kind of short, sharp shock that I needed uh, to wake me up. And I remember sort of, you know, leaning on the, standing up at the time, the train was packed, and I was kind of leaning there, and I was thinking, actually, this is down to me. It's not down to my teachers, it's down to me. I could do something here. Mr. Foster says I'm intelligent, I could go to university. That was still ringing in my head. I'd love to have gone to university. And I was like, wow, I could go to university. And I, at that moment, I resolved to change my attitude to studying. I knew it was going to take time. I knew I was going to have to work hard. Now, the thing is about dyslexic kids, they, my belief is that if you want to overcome your dyslexia, you've got to work twice as hard, three times as hard, four times as hard as someone who hasn't got that, that sort of you know, issue at school. Um, so you have to push against the odds, and you know, I'm, I'm resolving myself to do that. You know, I'm trying to think, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be top of the class. That was my aim. Now, I'd never been top of the class in anything, nothing at school. Actually, art probably. Um, and it's about helping our young people to get over themselves, be determined, don't give up. And this was my don't give up moment. Okay. And at that point, I decided, you know what, I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to work hard. Have you heard of Carla Toynton? She's an actress. So, so have you, you've kind of heard the story, the story of Don't Call Me Stupid? 
brilliant. If you've not seen that, that YouTube, go pick it up. One thing she says is that, you know, as an actress, and she's an EastEnders actress, isn't she? She was. And when she's given her new lines for the part for the next day, you know, her, her collegiate will go to the pub and they'll, you know, over a pint, they'll learn their lines and they're fine for the next day. For her, this will take all night and the next day to get her lines right. And the very last moment, she gets it all right just for the, you know, just takes a long time to get off. And yet she's a superb actress. It takes longer for dyslexics to get stuff done, okay? And they have to work even harder to overcome their difficulties. Okay. And I think that's what Mr. Foster sort of taught me. And from that moment on, you know, I started to get top grades. And I became top of the class. That was like a whole new experience. Where people were coming to me for homework advice. Like, what? Yeah, I've never had that experience before. And that, that, was, that was quite interesting. And yet, three years later, after badgering Mr. Hines, who was my um, the guy who offered me the job at the company, he was the training manager. I battered him virtually every day. I want to go to university. I want to go to university. I want to go to university. And this man said, Look, son, never go to university to do that kind of thing. That's not going to do it. What grades do I need? And actually, I convinced him. He said, Well, you need to get all these qualifications. It can take about three years. I said, I don't care. You top of the class? I don't care. I'll do it. Three years later, when I was 21, three years later, normally people go to university in the UK, I ended up going to Newcastle University. I was so proud of that moment. Yeah, I got to the point where I could go and do a degree. I was, like, I was like one of two handfuls of people that got to university that year in my school year. I was like, wow. And I was the dummy of the school. I was the retard. Okay? Is this kind of making sense? You know, you, I don't know if you can imagine how much pride I felt to have you know, got to that point where I could do that. Push through. But the point is, I did. Now, I had some encouragement along the way. Two people that believed in me. Two people, Mr. Hines and Mr. Forster. They were the two people my parents believed in me. But I somehow pushed through, you know, and, but, and yet, you know, as teachers, please push your kids, and you know, please help them to get over themselves, help them to be determined, but they have to work hard. You don't get this for free, you know, you have to work hard to get it. You have to deserve the right to get what you want, I think. And so, you know, my message to young people, your young people, you know, to young people that I work with is, look, be purposeful. You can create your reality. You've heard of the, have anyone watched The Secret? So, DVD, have you seen The Secret? What's The Secret? It's quite interesting, this whole thing about the law of attraction, that actually, if we attract crappy stuff, that's a technical term, that's what we get, crappy stuff. You know, if we, if we attract, you know, um, if we attract success and we want to have success, you're much more likely to get it. It's hard to get success if you don't believe in yourself. Does, does that make sense? You have to believe in yourself. And part of that is we have to help our young people to, to kind of create that reality and be that dolphin. You know, because actually fate is a cruel thing. You know, we can leave things to the fate of the gods and we just end up being, well, you know, that's just the way I was supposed to be. And, you know, I've just ended up this way because I'm dyslexic and I'm no good and I'm rubbish. So I'll always be rubbish. So I might as well just be rubbish. You know, and that's fate. However, destiny is something completely different. Destiny is something that you have to make your mind up and do. You can pursue your own destiny. And so many of our dyslexic kids can do that because they have this magic superpower that enables them to fit into the workplace so well in the 21st century. And they will be tomorrow's leaders. They will be tomorrow's leaders. And yet, we can teach all our young kids this same thing. And tomorrow's artificial intelligence world, it's coming. You won't stop this. This is a train that will not stop. You know, it will change everything, the way we pursue our jobs, what's available today. will be different in three years' time. 
the world will change massively, quickly. We're seeing change cycles now. When I was um, first, um, when I was first employed, um, the change cycles were happening in ten-year cycles. Um, by the time I left, um, by the time I was in my thirties, change cycles were happening every five years. By the time I was in my forties, change cycles were in every every three years to eighteen months. Change cycles are happening quicker and quicker and quicker, and we're seeing this disruption all over the place in the workplace. You might not see it in the school system yet, but in the, in the economic world, it is in turmoil because these, these change cycles happen so quickly. And yet, you know, I think naturally that the AI world or, or the modern world, the new economy, will really slip off in type people. And actually, our, that kind of mentality is naturally present in all of our dyslexic kids, but, but we can all learn this stuff. Every child can learn this stuff. But the traditional school governance system that's obsessed with conformity and measurement, my belief is, that has to change. To, to, to help our young people to get to that dolphin-type um, attitude, that dolphin-type characteristics, you know, we need to change our education system. Um, yeah, I'm place a video in a moment. So, Richard Branson and uh, Orlando Bloom, Keira Knightley, Darcy Dussel, they all talked about the world is changing, didn't they? You know, they talked about this dyslexic superpower. And Richard Branson said, you know, dyslexic people see the world differently. Do you know what? The dyslexic people do see the world differently. I see the world very differently. And I use that difference to help the people that I work with, you know, in the corporate world, to help leaders and teams to make a difference to to what they do, to a different company, to serve the world to be a better place. It's not just about making money, it's to serve the world to be a better place. What if we taught our young people to think like that? We could change the world. Thank you very much. This episode was brought to you by Dyslexia Explored and it's we do this as part of our Bullet Map Studio um, company uh, to bring you lots of great useful information for parents with teenagers and tutors who are helping teenagers, teachers, teenagers themselves. It's all about getting through high school with your confidence intact and finding your thing and hearing different people's stories can inspire you to do that and also learning new skills that are visual can help you to do that and I'm exploring that as part of my journey in helping dyslexic teenagers. I teach mind mapping as a training company. We teach online training courses and online study groups via video to help you learn how to mind map and also learn together with other dyslexics from all around the world. So if you're interested in that, um, 
have a look at the show notes. And about the show notes, lots of the references that are made in this talk will be in the show notes. Just type in bulletmapstudio.com forward slash 19 and you'll get um, all the, the links and information in there that Andrew refers to. Thank you. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me, do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia are getting in the way. Well, that's where dyslexia productivity coaching comes in because we give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. It includes proven methods like note-taking, reminders, speech-to-text, mind mapping, and more, all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me, and if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.